Welcome to The Lorraine Murphy Show. If you're anything like me, you want a successful, abundant business, epic energy, a growth mindset, vibrant health, and beautiful relationships. And this podcast sets out to help us achieve all of that together. I've been in the entrepreneurship arena for almost a decade now and have mentored hundreds of other business owners. So I know what goes on behind the scenes and what it takes to succeed. This podcast shares the tips, tricks, learnings, and lessons I lean on in order to blend the different facets of my life as an entrepreneur, author, wife, and mama to two gorgeous little humans. Let's jump in to today's episode. Hello and welcome to this week's episode of the Lorraine Murphy Show. It is, as always, wonderful to have you joining me. This week on the show, we are talking about sales, specifically how to create a sales strategy. It's funny that I'm sharing this episode this week because this month in my Bold Darling membership group, we are talking about sales. Is there a theme for the month? So yes, I'm talking a lot about sales <laughs> this month. And as I have shared with the Bold Darling group, sales is the lifeblood of any business. However, it can also be the most intimidating element of entrepreneurship as well. It isn't a skill we're taught at school. It's not a skill we're taught at university. So for many business owners, when they find themselves starting their first business, they need to figure out a lot very fast when it comes to bringing the dollars in the doors. Thankfully, we have experts like Abby White in the world. She is one of Australia's most dynamic sales experts, as well as being an in-demand speaker and podcast host. With over 15 years experience in sales, she has assisted in the delivery of over $500 million in sales for her clients. So we are very lucky to have her on the show this week. In our conversation, Abby and I discuss how she became the sales guru that she is, the best salesperson she has encountered as a customer, how everyone in a team has an impact on sales, if there is a best time of year to be thinking about sales strategy, what the sales trends are that she's seeing coming up. And she really shared a stat that (laughs) lit a rocket under my ass for sure. The best strategies for lead generation, her tips on converting leads into sales, kind of key. What to think about when investing in a salesperson. And I share my non-starter horror stories here as well. And how to brush up on your sales skills. So lots of gold coming up. Suggest you have a pen and paper for this one if possible. If not, just listen very, very carefully. All right, let's bring on myself and Abby White's conversation. Hello, Abby. Welcome back to the show. I don't think I've had you on for a couple of years, have I? No, it's been a while, actually. It's exciting. Thank you for having me back. Oh, I'm excited, excited to talk, although we have had like a 20-minute friends catch-up before we even started this. So um, <laughs> I feel like we should have got our work done and then had our chat. It's catch up with you, find out how Spain is going by using a podcast as an excuse. And then actually, I just get to ask you how Hello, that's exactly it, isn't it? I feel like so many of my friends' catch-ups are like because we're doing podcast interviews for each other's shows. So I'm really, really excited to have you on the show because as this episode is going out, we are coming to the end of financial year. And it was funny that I knew I was having this interview with you today because I just, before our session, I had a, a call with one of my current mentees. And she one of the things she wanted to talk about on our session was what does her sales strategy look like for the next financial year? So I said to her, this is so interesting. I've got a podcast episode coming up just for you very, very soon. So would you mind just giving people a bit of background as to how you became the sales guru that you are? And I know you're going to be mortified. It's so funny. Because I know how humble you are. 
it is actually weird. You sort of say sales guru and you have a moment of imposter syndrome where you're like, is that me? Is she talking to me? Oh, yes. no, like the pressure now that I've got to be a guru. So it's kind of interesting that like, I don't think of myself as that. I don't think any of us do. I think that's probably one of the challenges with women, but that's, hey, another podcast. Yes. I fell into sales by accident. So I wanted to go into marketing. I was on an intern course with IBM and they said, you'd be great in sales. I was pretty much offended at that because I was like, ow, am I salesy? Am I sleazy? Am I like, why do you perceive it's because I'm loud? You know, why do you perceive I'd be good at sales? So really long story short, I went from sort of saying no, because I'm not the natural salesperson to shadowing a lot of people at IBM who are some of, you know, the world's greats who've had an epic sales training, seeing what they really do, how they're customer facing, how they engage with customers, the value they're providing to customers and just fell in love with it. I was like, oh, wow, you mean I get to go out and talk to people all day and interact with customers all day? Like, hell yeah, I'm in. So I went through IBM's graduate program. They actually have a sales school. I went to sales school. (laughs) It's a thing. Amazing. So that was an epic foundation. But I think you really learn how to sell. And you've obviously traveled this journey and can talk to it when you leave that big name behind and suddenly you start your own business with what you've scraped together as a website. And suddenly you've got to go sell with no brand, no reputation, no resources, no nothing. And it's like, go get. So I think starting Sales Redefined also really upped a gear, you know, how you sell and really having to back yourself and go through that learning process. So I'd say that takes it to a whole nother level. Yeah, that makes total sense. I really wanted to ask you this, and I've never asked you this before. Who do you think, so from a a customer, so you as a customer, from that perspective, who do you think, can you give an example, whether it's someone that we might all know or someone that maybe it might be the, the local grocer, your local village shop. What's an example of the best salesperson that you have ever encountered as a customer? It's a really hard one. And I'm probably a tough critic because of what I do on it. I think I love people who make the sales process fun and an experience. Mm. So if you yeah. look at Disney or you look at Vino Mofo or people like that, I think they're so consistent. The brand experience is just incredible. And it doesn't feel like sales. It feels like fun. It, you know, Vino Mofo make it feel almost like your best friend's phoning to check in and see how you enjoyed the wines and, you know, do you want any more and so on. Or you look at Disney, every touch point is around incredible customer experience. Every single thing is thought through. So I really like brands like that that make it fun. They make it engaging. They add humor. I love people like Who Gives a Crap who add humor to the equation. Yes. From more of a corporate example, I do love Salesforce. And the reason I love Salesforce is whenever I say to my team, hey, we need to look at some sales research or the latest stats or we're producing something, we want to get some really good statistics to go with it. I sort of say, look at LinkedIn, look at Salesforce, look at Gartner. Those are kind of my go-to. And so I look at the likes of Salesforce and I go, they produce really high quality content. They educate. They, if we quote one of your best friends, Julie Masters, they out contribute mm. in their industry. And I think they're yes, very, very nice. good at doing what I'm seeing working well right now, which is thinking digital first, but not digital only. So they do amazing high quality education and sell by educating. And they're very, very good at the nurture and the follow up and then building out those journeys. So probably two mm. completely different examples of ones that I love. 
Yeah, I love that. But I love the corporate versus the, you know, the more personal experience as well. We're obviously talking, as I said, as we enter into the beginning of of a new financial year. What do you think is the best time for us to consider sales strategy? It's a really of the year one on- rather than the day. <laughs> it's a- six a.m. on Tuesday mornings. Yeah, six a.m. Tuesday mornings. Go for it. Best time of day. Yeah. <laughs> I actually think sales has to be an always-on strategy from some perspective. So we are always learning and tweaking and refining and testing. And, you know, like every time you talk to me, I'm like, I've tested this, I've tested that. Yes, yes. And so I don't really think to some extent it can be the once a year and so on. I think things move too fast for that, you know, ChatGPT launched and suddenly we're revisiting half of what we're doing and going, oh my God, like look at all these tools that are suddenly at our disposal. What does that mean for sales? What does that mean for our business? What does that mean in terms of what we're doing? So I think to a certain degree, there's always analyzing, being curious, being aware, monitoring what's working, what's not, testing, trying, evolving as that sort of evolution. However, I do really like, and I sort of really learned this from you, that level of that quarterly planning to look at. Mm. I still literally have it on top of my like bookshelf next to me. I literally keep I love that. from years ago, your quarterly planning sheet where you look at your rocks, you look at your strategy. Mm. And I think for me, as someone who is very fast paced, go, always a million miles an hour, I need that level of Lorraine (laughs) to stop, Mm. reflect, think, evaluate, analyze and go, well, what actually has worked? What has driven my sales forward? And half the time, you know, review the last 20 deals that you did. Where did they come from? Mine are always evolving and always changing. And sometimes you look at it and go, oh, wow, that's not what I thought it was going to be. So I like that level. And this is probably a discipline I've learned from you to sort of stop, reflect and plan. And I think we are at a great time now to go, okay, well, FY24 coming up, how can we actually do that quarterly planning before and annual planning to a certain extent to go into the next year? And I have to force myself to be intentional about it. Otherwise, I'm just constantly on the hamster wheel. Mm, yeah, I, I love love that. So really what we're saying is, and just so for anyone who's listening who doesn't have the context of what we're talking about, every quarter I create a quarterly plan for my business. So it's an, a 90-day plan and it comes from Vern Harnish. He wrote a brilliant book called Mastering the Rockefeller Habits. And he wrote a follow-up book 10 years later called Scaling Up. And he talks about the importance of a pulse for our organization. So if we are every three months as business owners reviewing, okay, what went well last quarter, you know, what could be improved, all the things, and then we're planning forward for the next three months, it just means that we're pulsing on like a three-monthly basis. And it's really simple. It's like having a quarterly business plan that's got five rocks, which is essentially like your big, your five big key thrusts for the quarter ahead, your priorities. So essentially, Abby, what you're saying is that sales strategy, it's not like there's a perfect time to do it. Obviously, coming into the start of a new financial year is is a great opportunity. But really what you're saying is that we almost want to bake that sales review and that sales planning forward into our quarterly planning. Yeah, I think it's a great time to do it now and use, you know, like we all do, use the new year, new financial year. It's a great excuse. It's a great excuse to stop and reflect and do that planning and use the structure like you've outlined. But I think it's then not putting it away in the filing cabinet like I've done before, if anyone still has a filing Mm. cabinet. (laughs) And I've done it before. I do my plan for the year and it's set and forget and you move on. So it's actually how you constantly coming back to it and living and breathing it rather than tick, done for the year. See you next year. Yeah, yeah, 100%. That's so good. And I know for me, 
when I do the quarterly planning process, generally one is is around sales, whether that's a new product that I'm about to launch or it's an existing product like with Bold Darling. I open doors to that twice a year. So I'll be opening them again in September this year. So for me, that's what keeps me structured and keeps me on that quarterly quarterly plan. Are there any particular trends that you're seeing come through for next quarter? I feel like I'm next year I'm asking you like a trends update from fashion, the fashion world. <laughs> any trends that you're seeing come through on a sales perspective? I definitely can't help you fashion. I'm not your go-to for fashion yeah. whatsoever. <laughs> I can help you around sales, but not fashion. I think there's a massive shift that we're starting to see. And I just kind of can't really believe the pace of it. So we're starting to obviously see everyone move towards digital. So if you look at, you know, obviously none of us like talking about it, but COVID really accelerated digital sales. You know, you look at now, I can buy a Tesla online. I don't know if there isn't even a car showroom. I'm seeing it in really high-end enterprise spaces where we would have gone, oh my gosh, you could never have that as a seller-free experience. 44% of millennials want a seller-free experience. You look at some of the shops now, like Amazon Go. What free experience? A seller-free experience. Seller-free. So they don't actually want to talk to someone. They just want to buy. So it's like me when I go to Woolies. I just want to go to the self-service checkout. Yep. Yes. Interesting. So just repeat that. Sorry, I interrupted you. 40% 40% of millennials 44% want a seller, 44% a seller-free experience. So what that means mm. is if you look at the future of sales leaders, the future of sales leaders is they are responsible for all sales channels, not just sales people. So one channel might be e-commerce. And how do I have a self-serve option that I can go on Lorraine's website, I can sign up to be a Bold Darling member, and I can just, when I'm like, yep, I'm ready to go, and so on, when your doors are open, I can jump on board, right? And I can self-serve. And all of us want to do that. You know, you look at, I look at websites now. I'll give you an example. I'm looking for a new physiotherapist at the moment. And any of them that I'm looking at, if I've got a phone up, see if they've got availability, wait for them to email me back. I'm like, I'm out. I want to look at, can I self-serve? Can I book in? Have they got almost like a Calendly mm. type function where I can go, that time suits me? Because as a mom, and as a business owner, the time that I'm looking to do that is at midnight. I was talking to someone the other day who's in the States and they were telling me they just traded in their car and bought a new car completely online within 15 minutes and uploading it off you go. Now, I want to be really clear, this doesn't mean the end of the sales profession. We don't need to, like, I'm not retiring. We don't need to retire. It's more about how are we giving different profiles of buyers the option? You know, people want to reach us now on over 10 channels. So I might want to just pick up the phone and speak to a human and speak to you. I might, you know, my mother-in-law... I hope she's not listening to this. Can't stand it when she goes to the airport and she's got to do the self-serve checkout. She still has a passbook. You know, sometimes I just want to speak to someone because I've got questions. So it's giving people Mm. the options to buy how and when they want. And I don't think we can ignore some of those self-serve e-commerce channels. I don't think we can go, oh, that's just for B2C and for consumers anymore. I think I'm seeing it in B2B high-end enterprise spaces that you just never thought it would be there. Mm. You know, some of the technology we're seeing coming in, you know, ChatGPT got, I hope this fact's correct, got 100 million users, I think it is, in the space of a few weeks that took Instagram Mm. years to do. 
and then you look at how that technology is then going wow I've just got this awesome virtual assistant and so I think that's Mm. changing some of the sales process so I think if you look to trends it's kind of really looking at how is digital shaking things up and thinking about e-commerce self-serve and so on how is technology shaking things up and you don't have to be super duper technical a lot of these tools are really inexpensive really accessible there's amazing youtube videos you can watch to figure them out mm. and i think that those sorts of things become your sales virtual assistant that say hey lorraine you've not spoken to abby in a while you should reach out hey lorraine you know so and so hasn't bought in a while you should reconnect with them or hey lorraine they got bold darling but they didn't get your personal development program maybe you should consider that mm. so we've sort of almost got like that virtual assistant that guide which is taking us towards more of that data driven selling rather than just oh i'm trusting my instinct my trusting my intuition so i know there's a lot there but i think it's really starting to not shy away and be scared by some of it and daunted by some of it but take baby steps to go what's just one thing I could embrace to take a step towards that and maybe it's as simple as hey I'm going to add calendarly function so people can Mm. instantly book in with me because I want and we want in this day and age a real-time response yeah, I mean, I'm just even thinking from my business, for example, when you get onto the mentoring page, that the call to action is to fill out a form and someone will get back to you. So straight away, I'm thinking there needs to be an opportunity for someone to book directly into my calendar for a discovery call. Yeah, You know, once they're qualified, they obviously know the dollars involved that they could just book straight away. So that's a really interesting stat, my love. Thank you. That's fascinating. Any other trends you want to share while we're talking on what's coming up next year? I think it's also around bringing together your revenue generating teams. And what I mean by that is I think we've always thought about sales as just sales equals sales professional. And I have a job title Mm. of sales. And I love the Zig Ziglar quote, which you've probably heard before around, you know, you may not hold the job title of sales, but if you're customer facing, you know, you, my friend are in sales. You know, for me, the receptionist is in sales marketing has a direct impact on sales your ea has a direct impact on sales Mm -hmm. you know we all have an impact on sales and if i look at our best projects that we're working on that are generating leads they're generating epic rois it's when you really bring together either your team or your virtual team together you know you kindly sent one of your clients our way and we did a little bit of work with her And she brought along the person who was doing her marketing, who is an outsourced third-party provider, so we could all collaborate to go, right, are we all on the same page? She brought along her EA, who's amazing, to go, right, are we all on the same page? So it's just going, whoever your team is, like your actual employees team or your virtual team that you've built, is everyone driving the bus in the same direction on your sales strategy, playing their part of the jigsaw? and contributing because a lot of the time we're not. I recently saw a great stat from LinkedIn around how are sales using LinkedIn versus marketing using LinkedIn. And over 75% of the time, they are targeting different audiences, not even speaking to the same people. Totally different audiences. Interesting. Yes. It's just diluting effort and energy and resources across the marketing, the marketing and sales efforts. Fascinating. bring that back to a single business owner, right? You might go, oh, that's large teams. But even if you bring it back to a single business owner or a small business, actually it's our marketing efforts, what we're putting out, be it socials, be it whatever it might be in our marketing. 
is that stepping stones and taking people on a journey towards sales? And is everyone in the same direction of who really is the number one person that we want to attract? Who is the ideal member for Bold Darling? You know, and what are the stepping stones to that? And everyone singing from the same hymn sheet. So there is enormous power in bringing everybody on the journey, all on that, you know, trip together. Yeah, makes total sense. I love that. I think probably the trick, well, depends on what your individual challenges are when it comes to sales. But I know one of the trickiest issues, and I was actually just working with another, I had a lot of mentoring this morning. So it's very timely that I'm talking to you now. Another mentee that I was working with this morning, the challenge she has is that we, we've gotten very clear on who her ideal client is. She's pivoting her business somewhat to look at b- bigger, bigger projects and a slightly different scope of what she has been offering in the first seven years of her business. And one of the big challenges she has is, you know, how do I create this? How do I create these leads? Like, how do I start to get my foot in the door with this? For her, it's B2B. What strategies are you seeing that are really working in terms of lead generation? So just getting those people in the top of our funnel almost so we can start to romance them, but we need someone to romance in the first place. So what are you seeing working? <laughs> it's very hard to go on dates just I on your own. I know you talk a lot about sales as the dating, you know, the first date, the second date, the third date. What do you see working in terms of lead generation at the moment? It is. Yeah. So the dating analogy is I always talk about don't get married on the first day. And I think sometimes go. Mm, I don't expect to get married on the first day, you know, go straight for the. Yeah. Do you want to sign up for my one year program? Yeah. yeah. Don't go straight in for the kill. Have the dates. So do you know what my favorite approach at the moment, which you would be familiar with, because I know it's a book that you also love, is the Dream 100. And Chet mm. Holmes talks about it in his book, The Ultimate Sales Machine. And if I kind of just give a bit of context as to why, and then I'll explain the Dream 100. If you look at the latest research on what are people doing who are exceeding their sales quota, they're not just meeting their sales quota, they're kicking it out of the park and, you know, they're absolutely smashing it. They are reaching out less than those underperformers, but they are personalizing and researching every single time. So they are Mm. not doing the traditional spray and pray, scattergun, let me see how many calls I can make a day and how many people I can do and, you know, just reaching out blind, knowing nothing about your business. They are stopping to consider, okay, what do I, what can I find about Lorraine online and her business? What might be a priority for Lorraine? What can I see? Therefore, what might be a value to her? How can I reach out? How can I personalize her approach? I've actually just got back from Singapore and we ran an, ran an exercise for a sales kickoff and we gave everyone 15 minutes to go choose a prospect, go look at their website, go look at their LinkedIn, go see for larger companies, have they been in the news? Are there any current announcements for the really large companies? Do they have an annual report that talks about what are their priorities? What have they committed? Go look at that. You've got 15 minutes. So like quick fire look at some of that. And then what do you find out? And how would that change your approach? The room was insane. I kind of wanted to keep going for hours because we started talking about it. And even just as a team, it was like, oh, my God, I'm connected to five people from that company on LinkedIn. And I didn't even realize, oh, wow, mm. they just made this announcement. They just hired this new person. They just acquired this new business. And even just in 15 minutes, you could find, oh, that might be a priority for them or their shareholder statement is saying this is a priority. Therefore, this is going to be my personalized approach. This might be relevant to them. So it's really coming from that biocentric perspective rather than just us centric Mm -hmm. 
And so if you look at the dream 100 back to that, the dream 100 is going in a year or two time when we're reconnecting, who are the 100 clients that you would just love to have and be working with? And the effort is worth the reward of dating them. Because if you look mm. at the market, who what's the 80-20? Who are the 20% of customers who have 80% of the spend in the market? And if we win those ones, that's really where the action's at. And then rather than scattergun, we just have a really structured approach to continuously be turning up, adding value, turning up, adding value. So it's more of a, if you've heard of the term, like account-based sales and marketing approach, where we individually go, what's important to these clients or these prospects? What can we find out about them? And then can, how can we have an individual approach? Now, the reason 100 is because statistically speaking, only 3% of your target market are ready to buy at any one point in time. So you need a bit of volume. But let's just bring this back to basics. It's kind of like batch cooking. I'm not good at it. You are. But it's going, okay, well, if I come up with my FY24 sales trends, how can I actually share that with multiple people? But I can just tweak and refine my email or my message a little bit for each of them. Maybe I look at the sales trends, but then I do a little tweak and refinement for the retail industry. So it feels mm. personalized. It feels bespoke. But in terms of work, I'm not literally going through a hundred, having to do a hundred percent tailored, I'm getting a bit of economies of scale. And we very simply map it out and go, what's my touch point for July? What's my touch point for August? What's my touch point for September? And if that's too much, go right once a quarter. How can I touch base with these people, add value, turn up and continue showing up? And the people who we see succeed with this are the ones who play the long-term game. They're there for the marathon because the first couple of times you might get nothing. But the third or fourth, you suddenly start to actually get a bite and you also start to learn what are my best first and second dates that actually mm. really, really work. So it gets easier the more you get onto the horse. So I know that was a really long answer, but it really is about now go focused and targeted and researched and thought, thought and intention behind it rather than spray and pray. Mm. Yeah. Got it. And then obviously then the next step, once we get our lead once we get our lead in the door and we've maybe got a discovery call or there's some kind of a more of an automated online interaction, what are your top tips then to converting that person through to a paying customer? And maybe the opposite is what do you see the biggest mistakes that people make when they've got the lead, they've got the hot lead, and then they don't, for whatever reason, manage to convert that person to a paid customer. What are the biggest mistakes you see people make in that sense, at that in that stage of the process? Biggest mistake, number one, without fail, is not following up. Mm, fully agree with that one. You know, this is my high horse topic. You know, yeah. 80% of sales takes five follow-ups or more, but 44% of people only follow up once. So most people give up too soon. And half the time, it's a story in our head. I've been guilty of it too, because we go, they're just not interested. Maybe they went with someone else. I don't want to annoy them. So not having the follow-up and the nurture strategy you've got to follow up. There's no point doing all the hard yards, all the other stuff, if you then give up too soon. When our clients have implemented follow-up Friday, where they get into the rhythm and the habit of I was hoping you'd speak to this. Yeah, so good. People have had record sales days just by implementing that. The client we've just been in Singapore, we did their previous sales kickoff and they said, that's the one thing we've really, really, really stuck to and embedded that's transformed our sales. And it doesn't matter what size client we've worked with, be it one person, be it massive corporate, 
that's the one that really sticks. I think the other one to be aware of at the moment is there was a really interesting study, really fresh, just done, and it was on 2.5 million sales transactions. Some of them were just low-end transactions. Some of them were complex sales. And they looked at what's happening. And a lot of the time when people were losing deals, it wasn't that they were losing to the competition. It's that they were losing to indecision. That in the current environment, current economy, do I invest that money? Do I not? I would rather do nothing and stay safe than make a bad Mm. decision. So to get someone through indecision, how do we have the right social proof, the right credibility? So for me, no proposal, no nothing should go out the door without screaming social proof and credibility. So if I look at Bold Darling, I can see you know, these are the awesome testimonials of the women who've been on Bold Darling and love it to then go, oh, wow, like, you know, this sounds amazing. This sounds like exactly what I need. And I therefore feel confident to buy that I'm not going to make a mistake. So I think if I was to just sort of, you know, pick on a couple, those are sort of two to really consider. Yeah. And just to unpack for people what follow up Friday is very simple. It's 15, 30 minutes. Let's put in your calendar every Friday. I would kind of tend to do it mid-morning. I think that's the best timing. And it's just following up with anyone you've got an outstanding proposal with or a follow-up with or whatever it might be. And it's just checking in. We did this as a team in my first business every Friday. And yeah, you're right. Fridays would be our biggest sales days just because we took the time to follow up. Yeah. It's awesome. And it's a great feeling going into the weekend as well with a couple of new clients under your belt as well. Absolutely. And I want to talk to you about maybe a bigger business or maybe more of a corporate, a large organization who are not so much corporate with this one, but if someone has a smaller business and they're looking at bringing on their first salesperson, what are some considerations that they should keep in mind for that? Because it's I a scary, it's a scary task. It's a scary step, I think, for a lot of business owners to do that. Yeah, I think look, I'd love to tag team with you on this one because I know your story with bringing on your first salesperson is also a really relevant one here of first three. I wasn't going to say that. Oh God, nice. I did not talk to Abby about these, but yes, continue. But I think, so, you know, if we kind of divide that into two, you know, one part is, are you just bringing on a salesperson because you sort of are running away from it and you don't want to do it? And great point. I think you talk to that. Do you want to go first with that one? And then I'll dovetail with some of the other founders. Yeah, 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 for sure. So I was probably a year into my first business and decided that, okay, that's it. I need to start outsourcing sales. So I brought someone into the business who had an IT background. I mean, honestly, what the fuck was I doing? But anyway, brought him in. He didn't work out. I think it was probably about two months down the line, realized that he wasn't going to work out. And then brought in another person, maybe three, four months later, who did have a sales background, but not necessarily in our space. And again, just didn't get the wins on the board. Had to wrap that up before her probation ended. And then took me a year then to bring on someone else because, of course, I hadn't learned the lesson the first two times. So I actually decided to really double down and hire someone who would double the salary of the second salesperson that hired. And yeah, the day after his three-month probation finished, he told me that he was going to go and work in another business. And I lost my money with the recruitment consultancy and yeah, all the things. It was an absolute nightmare. So I think for me, my motivation for doing was very much to get away from sales And after that happened with that third salesperson, what I decided to do instead was, and I kind of had this come to Jesus moment of going, like, Lorraine, you actually really enjoy selling. Like you enjoy getting out there. And as Chet Holmes said, I know you've referenced the Ultimate Sales Machine book as well. And he talks about sales as being the opportunity to make new friends. And I really did enjoy the sales side of it. So instead of me trying to outsource sales, instead what I did is I brought in an account director who managed 
more of kind of the operations side of the business, looked after the team, looked after the influencers that we represented, looked after our clients, which freed me up. Like 80% of my time was freed up in order to actually go and pursue sales. So I didn't. And then she ultimately, she started selling as well. All of our team had sales targets, even if they were you know relatively junior in the team. So that's how I operate until I sold that business five and a half years later. So yes, that was my learning. Over to you. So I think a great thing in that is around, you know, even as a business owner, you know, you are always, if you're a business owner, you know, you're all, even if you're a CEO, you're an MD, it doesn't matter. You're in a senior leadership role. You're always going to be brought into sales because there's always going to be that yes. relationship. So yeah. And there's a certain level, you know, even if you do have a team that's selling, there's going to be a certain caliber of deal that needs you to get it over the line. Exactly. Or people wanting to meet you and, and so on. So I think there's that of, are you doing it to escape and to run away and sort of, you know, mm-hmm. avoid it because sales is dirty and yuck? Or, you know, actually, are you at a point in business where you need a salesperson and so on? I think there's a couple of things for me. Firstly, making sure everyone in the business is responsible for sales. We have a scorecard as, as a business and everyone in our business, I don't, even my graphic designer, Every single person has a responsibility that they play a part in our sales journey. How is the graphic designer doing the socials and the graphics for our new program that we've just launched? And how is she contributing to that? How is she making sure it's popping and it's eye-catching and it stops the scroll? And she's really putting our best foot forward with that branding and it represents what we want. So every single person can play a part on the journey. It's not just me that is responsible for sales. Everyone has a part. And then also have you set up the foundations to make that person successful? Because even if I came and sold for you tomorrow and I've got a 15 plus year career in sales, I still need to know, you know, who is the ideal member for, I keep using Lorraine as an example, Mm -hmm. it's easy for us to understand it. (laughs) Who's the ideal member for Bold Darling? Who is it not the right person for? And we should say, no, sorry, not the right fit for you. What are some great stories, some great examples, some great testimonials that we can share? How do you typically convert and win? What's the stepping stones? What's the dating journey that people are on? If people have an objection to Bold Darling, what is it? And what do I say? What's the best way to navigate that? Because on average, it takes nine months to bring that salesperson up to speed and start adding value to your business. So how do you shortcut that journey by building your sales playbook to shortcut the process and set them up for success? And so I think that's a huge part of it. One, getting everyone in your team is revenue generating and has a part to play. And two, if you are bringing on a dedicated sales role, set them up for success. So the IP of the business and sales process isn't just all in your head. I love that. And just so we're clear, my dear, are you saying that your graphic designer has a sales target or she's or he or she is just more aware of the part that they play in the overall sales process and how they contribute towards it? Good question. She doesn't have a target, i.e. go bring in X thousands of dollars, but she has a part to play in terms of this is our rock to use your language, like this is our goal. Yes. What is her part in the story? that she needs to contribute towards to get us to that goal, i.e. everybody plays a part in getting us to that goal. Yeah, got it. So it's like almost like they can see what part of the the process they are. Yeah. Like they know what their bit that they step in and they do it. Almost like a you know a relay race that they know, okay, when the baton, when they have the baton for sales, this is what they're expect, what's expected of them. I love that. If someone is maybe they own their own business or they're part of a bigger set, a bigger organization, they're part of a sales team, what can they do you think to brush up on their sales skills? Because it's a weird one, isn't it? No one really, it's quite hard to actually seek out training on sales that isn't 
selling online or, you know, it's quite difficult to find more of a kind of a more well-rounded way to sell. Yeah. To teach us how to sell. The first thing I think for me is around continuous learning. You know, I'm a massive learning junkie. And I think that... Mm, You really are. I love it. I'm just addicted to it. And, you know, I love it. And I think that you have to be because look at how fast it's changing. This year for me on sales has dramatically changed. We're seeing massive movements. So I think there's a level of continuous learning. You can't just do, you know, once a year, I'm going to do that course and that's it. Tick, I'm done. Mm. Or for larger teams, we're just going to do our sales kickoff. Tick, we've done enablement for this year. Like how are you continuously investing in your team, investing in yourself? And, you know, you've got ongoing learning. I think for me as well, something that I try and do is I also try and seek out A, the best of the best. Who do I think is, you know, I I said to you earlier before we started recording, we've been looking at a membership. So I sought out who do I think are the world's best in memberships? Okay, cool. How can I go study from them? So seek out the best of the best. And sometimes I think with sales, it's not necessarily always obvious. Like I don't read a lot of the sales books, which surprises most people. I actually learn loads by learning from different left fields. So for example, we've got Matt Farrelly on one of our programs that we're doing who launched the X Factor. What she can teach you about standing out from the crowd, grabbing attention, hooking attention, turning attention and engagement into action is insane. Why would you not learn from a TV producer whose content had 8 billion views? So I think there's also really interesting learning to be had by also just looking outside of the envelope a little bit. And I think that's where you get such fresh inspiration as well from all different places and all different ideas. Mm. And you were chatting to me about before we started recording about the program that you offer, which is RevOp. Could you just share a little bit about that as well? Because I think it very much speaks to that continuous learning because it's a 12-month program. Is that right? Yeah. So we launched RevOp, which was looking at, okay, how do you rev up your sales? Yeah. What would you do? What's the magic answer? And we started just literally plotting out, okay, what would be the journey and the pathway we would take people on? And we built it into the system that we're calling the RevUp system. And what we did was we went exactly what I was sort of talking to and going, well, who do we consider the best? If we're doing around social selling, then I want LinkedIn to teach the month on LinkedIn social selling. There's nobody better. I want Maz to teach standing out from the crowd. I want Jules, who is one of your really good friends, to teach influence and being a thought leader. So we got together all who we consider for the topics we wanted to cover, the best of the best, put it into a 12-month program that then we can bring the masterclasses to people, but also bring your revenue-generating team to learn together, go into breakout rooms to then go, how do we execute on this? You know, 75% Mm. of what you learn, you forget within a week if you don't execute it. So an important part for us was then having a breakout room then and there, strike while the iron's hot to go, okay, well, how do I put this into action? Even right now, if you're listening to this podcast and you're inspired by something that we're talking about, how can you then go, okay, what's one thing that I can do now? What's one thing I can put into action? Because that's where the magic's going to happen. That's where you're going to get the value from listening to Lorraine's podcast. Yeah. So we wanted to do... And just get that momentum, you know, just taking that one tiny step, even if it's booking in time to actually work on your sales strategy for next week, you know, put booking that time in next week. I think just taking those tiny steps, make they, they get you that momentum. We can't get that momentum without taking those first tiny 
baby steps. Yeah. What's the first obvious step you can take? It's, you know, a great one. And then building the habit, you know, something I still have in my diary from you from years ago was when you talked about the fact in your diary, you have MITs and you do your most yes, yes. tasks. I still have that in my diary, but yeah. you've got to take that step to then see that come to fruition. Yeah. Yeah. So true. And just, you know, based on that, what is one thing that you would like people to do as a result of listening to this episode, this conversation with you? I think don't shy away from sales. If you've been in the camp of having a sales allergy, feeling allergic to it, don't shy away from it. Become best friends with sales. And I think also take a first step, you know, because if there's something that's inspired you from this podcast, what's one thing you could do today? What's the one first obvious step to put it into action? Maybe it's popping follow-up Friday in your diary. Maybe it's yes. you know, putting your, Lorraine's one, your MITs, your most important tasks in your diary. What's one thing so that you can just start building that momentum from there? Yeah, I love that. And I know that's the thing. I think particularly with sales, it can feel like a really overwhelming area. So it's just taking what's the tiniest, tiniest step that you can do. Like you say, just if you only start following up with potential clients or customers on a Friday, I mean, that's one thing that you'd be doing that you weren't doing beforehand. And the kind of knock-on effect then as three, six months down the line, you've got more work coming in and then you're feeling the benefit of it. But I think with sales, it can be tricky. And I don't know if you'd agree with this, Abby. It can be tricky to get those actions in that you know, you straight away start to get results. You know, sometimes it can feel like more of a long burn. So I think it's also an element of keeping the faith as well and trusting that it, it, all the hard work is going to pay off. Yeah, sales is like going to the gym. You want a six-pack straight away and that toned beach body straight away. And unfortunately, it's a bit like going to the gym where you've got to keep going and then it feels like, oh, it's not working. I'm not, you know, toning up. Why am I doing this? Yeah. And then all of a sudden, it kind of starts to come good and starts to come to fruition. But even, you know, we did a challenge with people recently and said, go reconnect with 20 people you're overdue a catch-up with, you want to reconnect with. I have not had a single person do that challenge and not come back with fresh conversations, new opportunities. Mm -hmm. So some of it can just be so simple, so effective. And that's really quick. You know, you could contact 20 people within the next week and you could have fresh opportunities in your pipeline within a week. Yeah. Love that. Love that. And it's amazing, isn't it? When you do that kind of thing and then you, you do the reach out and then you hear back from some, maybe it was an email reach out or text reach out or whatever. And they say, that is the strangest thing. I was just thinking about you. Yeah. So I think it's just about owning that and being proactive, I think is really key. So thank you so much. Do you feel like there's anything that we missed? I feel like we've had a very fast paced, wide ranging conversation around sales. Is there any kind of really obvious points that you feel we've missed during this conversation? No, I think we've captured a lot of it. I think we've solved a lot of world peace in um, a short we have a short period of time. I'd actually say, do you know, one of the really good ones, and this is a shout out back to you, is actually going back to, you know, one thing I learned from a lot of your books actually was some of those small practical habits of how you're setting yourself up. Because I actually think a lot of the key to success in sales isn't always thinking about what are my sales skills. It's also going, have I put aside the right time, put aside the right habits? that then actually can build that momentum. So get remarkably organized for me was the one that actually made me go, right, I'm putting out that time dedicated to doing the prospecting or dedicated to mm. 100 or dedicated to the MIT. So I think even, you know, a lot of your audience might have read that book, going back to those fundamental principles to help you then execute some of what you've heard today. 
Mm, yeah, love that. So the Revel program is opening up, up until when? I'll pop it in the show notes as well, but just let us know before we go. We are open and we're closing on the 30th of June and we're kicking off in July as a cohort, as a team, all together and going off on a 12-month journey together. So yeah, if that sounds like it's of interest, feel free to check out the link and yeah, we'd have, love to have you along. Amazing. And sorry, I didn't ask you, my love, who is it for? Can you just spell that out for listeners as well? Yeah. So at the moment, we've got a mix of people who have joined us. Predominantly, people are in B2B industries. We have got some lovely B2Cs joining us and we adapt it for them to make sure they're getting an outcome. The people I think who have seen the most value from it have been someone who might be a business owner or a leader and then also bringing along their salesperson, perhaps if they've got a marketing person and really bringing together that revenue generating team. Now we've had Mm. some business owners that just come themselves and one other member of their team. And we've had some massive behemoth corporates who have ended up putting together a little project team that have come together. You can kind of make it your own journey because when we do the breakout rooms, you go as a team, or if you're by yourself, you go and connect with other owners. But predominantly, it's been teams that have been joining us on their journey and a great opportunity away from the rat race and the day-to-day to really spend that time yeah. together focusing on what are we going to do moving forward and how do we execute our learnings and that dedicated time away from the whirlwind of the day. Yeah, just so hard to find. So I think it's important that, yeah, if you can ring fence that for people, I think that makes a huge difference. I know that's what members of Bold Darling talk about, you know, the three sessions that we get together for live and then the one pre-recorded session, it's basically forced time on their business, which I think is the hardest time to find. So I think what you're talking about is that forced time on sales, which I think would be great if everyone could create for themselves, you know, whether it's as part of your program or on their own as well. Thank you so much for sharing today. I will I will obviously pop all your deets into the show notes so people can come find you and find out more about Rev, the Revo program and where you are on Insta and, and website and all the things. That was the brilliant Abby White, aka Sales Guru. To find out more about Abby's work, you can go to her website, abbywhite.com.au. And as she mentioned, her Revo program is beginning soon. To find out more, go to salesredefined.com.au forward slash rev hyphen up and abby has very kindly given us a code so if you use the code lorraine one zero lorraine 10 you'll get 10 percent off each month of the program you are welcome thank you so much abby for so generously sharing all of your advice with us this week and look forward to coming back again for another episode next week Please do remember to subscribe to the podcast so you don't ever have to miss an episode. I am always keen to hear your thoughts, questions and requests for future topics on what I share here on the show. So please do reach out via my website, lorrainemurphy.com.au or connect with me on Instagram at lorrainemurphymentor. I would also love if you could rate and review the podcast as it helps even more brilliant listeners like you find the show. Thank you so much again for listening this week. Bye.